welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Jeremy, how you doing this week? Yeah, good fella. It's been um, a good busy week. We have Fix, Hack, Learn week this week. So me and the team have been kind of trying to steer away from our normal day jobs and learning about things um, outside of that, which has been really good fun. Excellent. Sometimes I wish I could uh, participate in those and then I realize I don't know much and I don't can't learn that fast. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the guys have been a little more explorative with coding than I have this time around. Um, I think as Vincent rightly reminded me the last time I did an FHL with Vincent, um, I basically did a lot of the telling and he did a lot of the coding because it was a React project <laughs> with Fluid Framework. But this this time around, my learning is um, basically understanding the, our field a little bit more as it's such a large part of our Microsoft company. Understanding all the different roles, like there's the stews and these AEs and there's CSAMs and there's CSMs and there's CEs. And, and I keep kind of being introduced to all these people not really knowing what their motivations are. And so I, it was amazing just going through all the different job descriptions and how they're comped and what plans they're on just to kind of understand why they come out and reach to me and how I can get them to work for me I get it's a more important thing <laughs> so it's nice to get that yeah. opportunity sometimes to like cancel all meetings in a week and just dedicate to something like that is that a Microsoft wide thing or just a graph org or how does that work so the Microsoft they have a one week once a year which is all of the company and then E plus D, which is underneath Rajesh, which is essentially Microsoft 365, if you think about it from a product containerization, um, they do an FHL like twice a year outside of that one, one week. So we get three a year, basically. Okay, nice, and, nice. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good. I think it's great. And all of our execs are doing it, like Gina's doing it. And so it's nice just to get out of the treadmill of recurring meetings and, yeah, meetings exactly. and stuff to actually have some dedicated learning time poke your head up and look around and see the world right yeah yeah i mean it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a nice nice change of uh change of pace and it's a good week to have that because you know there's a new website out in the world called is the ship still stuck.com so you can see <laughs> <laughs> can, of course there yes, is of course <laughs> well apparently by the time this show is published they're they're saying they're going to be able to move it but there um, there's a lot of twitter noise <laughs> around the fact that that's probably pretty unlikely right now uh, yeah the crazy world there's a lot of louis vuitton shoes or louis vuitton shoes on those <laughs> ships that people are not going to get delivered to yeah. them Monday morning. <laughs> oh my goodness, too funny. Um, so uh, hopping into uh, the Microsoft links this week, the first one, we should, I don't have a link to this one, but if you are following the Microsoft official blogs, you know that SPFX 1.12 came out, but on Twitter, there's been a, a somewhat different story there. A few regressions have cropped up. So if you haven't seen it yet, you might want to hold off and make sure to check the official sites. And there's a new release of SPFX scheduled. I, I don't remember when, because uh, my life is more in .NET, less in SPFX, so I haven't followed that closely, but I have heard the chatter. So uh, public service announcement, if you uh, have uh, have done that, wait wait and make sure that you get 12.1 before jumping in. Sorry, I didn't clear that one there. Jeremy, I forgot to put that in our, our notes, but I at least wanted to get the public service announcement out there. But now the first link in our Microsoft links is um, a Learn Together, Building Apps with Microsoft Graph. And this is the... The group of uh, advocates, I think in the Azure side, Aicha and Bob German and uh, Dan Walleen, they're putting a, a whole uh, 
the thing together in April for building apps with Microsoft Graph. I assume you're involved with that in some fashion, yes? I am actually on vacation that week. Wow. So, we, and it's great because it gives an opportunity for others to step up. So, you know, a Kristen Womack, who is new to our group, who is now the lead for developer experience all up. She's going to be on the show. Um, so is Yina. But yeah, it is a lot of the dev advocates being engaged here. So like Barnum and Todd, who kind of lead that team, as well as Ico we've had on the show and Rabia Williams uh, over in New Zealand and um, Waldet Masticars and Bob Jermaine. And then actually Beth Pan's going to be on it as well that works with um, the Microsoft Graph Toolkit team with Nicola and Elise. And so, yeah, so it's going to be a really good event. I'm um, actually... The timing of it was just a little bit rough, but it's actually my birthday week. So I took the entire birthday week off and Barnum schedules the event during my birthday week. And that's how I'm going to blame him for it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, good. Yeah. So what I, um, on the page that I linked to, there's a little promo that they, that they did. And it doesn't have everybody on there, but it does go through uh, the, the folks who are going to be doing the presentation. So you can get a little teaser. It's well-produced. I love it. It's a Channel 9 type video. So looking forward to carving out time for that. And it's going to be run in two different times of the day. So covering everyone across the world. So excited to see uh, how that works. Yeah, they've done a great job of building out that content and like having us all review it in the engineering group as well. And, you know, we're co-presenting and I, I'm loving what they're doing over there with these events. They did a really, really good one for Microsoft Teams a few months ago. And so this is now the first one they're doing with Graph. So if you want to learn about Graph, it's a great way of doing it and plug it in. Yes, excellent. The next link I found is really not something, nothing new, but in my uh, feed reader this week, there was a big long list of items in the M365 developer YouTube channel. And it turns out that somebody at Microsoft is taking the community call feedback. Obviously, we all go to the Microsoft Graph community call, you know, full stop. We do the whole thing. But there's a lot of community calls and sometimes they get, the content can get overwhelming. And so the, the couple that I saw were community call demos that have, that have been chopped up into smaller bits. And I'm calling out a few of them here. One on um, Excel.js API updates, one on UX changes for Outlook add-ins on the web, and one on using Bot Composer uh, in in a Microsoft Teams app. So these three are, are interesting to me. And I'm sure if you follow this uh, developer YouTube channel, you will find stuff that's interesting to you as well. So again, uh, see, see the great work that the folks are putting out, but uh, in bite-sized chunks. Yeah, I do like this. And it's something that at home, I have Apple TVs um, upstairs and downstairs on my main TVs. And you know, occasionally I'll just plug those on. If I'm meandering for email on my laptop on the couch, you know, I'll go to that channel on my YouTube app and play them through. And I, I love the, you know, the bite-sized pieces just to be able to kind of learn very quickly about new topic areas. Like for me, it really helps to kind of keep up with the tech. And I think for people that are listening, like, well, I'm sure you're listening to this show because you do it as a way of keeping up with the tech as well. But that YouTube channel obviously being more visual than a podcast is also really useful as well. Yeah, and, and the fact that it's a subset of something on a community call, so maybe I can then go back to that call and get a bigger context, right, to, to help get through that. So, yeah, so I'm not sure who's doing the editing there, but thank you very much for doing yeah, so. I appreciate so it. Dana and the marketing team are doing that over there, which is great. So it was a good idea, a great way of on-demand catching up with community calls where, you know, the community calls are covering more than what you care about, which is obviously a lot, a lot of times going to be the case with how big M365 <laughs> dev platform is. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. And there's a, I know that there's a link somewhere that lists all the community calls and, and I don't know, there are over a dozen, I think these days. So yeah, crazy. we see it. I mean, you look at our podcast analytics and there are certain shows that get instant, you know, thousands of views and then other ones that don't. And that's just the reality of the different audiences and the demand for certain areas of the technology. I'm afraid to look with my couple week absence. Uh, there's probably through the through the roof numbers. I've been a boat anchor. Yeah, me and me and the. Uh, well, I don't oh, think you're they make stuckled. a decision based on the host. <laughs> I think it's really just the topic. But <laughs> um, so transitioning off to the community, uh, the the first link is a great little thing that I, I installed and I'm using right away. Elio Struff, who is I don't know if Elio has been on the show. Actually, I think he, he was. I think he has a long, long, long time I, ago. I remember meeting him when you grabbed a handful of us at an MVP summit in Redmond, we were in one of the restaurants talking about back on your old show before I was the host. So, but yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. That would have been when it was still uh, maybe Richard actually. Yeah. Could have been. Yeah. He's a top guy and he's just moved to, he was at Valo and now he's moved to another ISV. Um, so that's going to be, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does there with that, that particular ISV as well. So yeah, he's always a character. He's always smiling. And quite frankly, like we've been sending this link around our engineering group being like, wow, this is so cool. And um, Daryl's actually now engaged with him a bit to improve it a bit more because we were on the same path. But we'll see, Elio probably has some spare time between jobs <laughs> and crush this thing out. The, the link we're talking about, by the way, is a, a VS Code extension for autocomplete your Microsoft graph URLs. Or the API, and so I use the REST client extension in VS Code. I don't use Postman that much, sorry, buddy. But uh, I use the the REST client. You're killing one. me, man! You're killing me. I know. Um, <laughs> and so it uh, as I'm typing in the Microsoft Graph URL, it'll pop up with autocomplete, and I want to get snippets in there. So if I ever get some free time, then uh, maybe I'll try to jump in and help them out, do some snippet stuff in there. But the great extension here, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Then thanks, Elio, for for putting that together, and because uh, uh, the graph has gotten much bigger than Paul can remember what all the different things are. So it's great to have that list right i mean <laughs> i mean it, it's nice to have those options right like you've got graph explorer you've got postman you've got this i mean there's lots of different ways that you can like play with what apis are available i do love the idea of vs code because you can just save those files and then just you know check them into source code yeah and then open them back up and execute them there and the intellisense aspect or the autocomplete aspect of that is really neat so as you're typing the url it's going to drop down and give you those things Daryl was showing it to me today because we were kind of having a bit of a, a face-off, I guess, Postman versus VS Code for like the experience. And they both have their pros and cons, but I do, I do really like the idea of it being built straight into VS Code. I prefer VS Code because I can copy the whole request and That's paste right. it into a code section in, in Visual yeah. Studio and then write my code knowing what the, the result has to look like, right? I can't find a good way to copy stuff out of Postman. So, but that's how Paul works, but anyways. Um, next link I found is a, a past guest, a, a longtime buddy of mine, uh, Tobias Zimmergren, and uh, he posted uh, backing up all Azure Key Vault secrets, keys, and certificates. Uh, the key takeaway here is that if you just click the backup inside the Azure portal, it'll do a backup, and the backup's encrypted using that subscription. So if your goal is to maybe copy some secrets over to a dev and tenant, that's not going to work. And so he goes through the different op options and approaches you can to get data out of the Key Vault. 
again, do this with your eyes open. Don't be don't be putting them in plain text and then losing the file. So, uh, but uh, nice to see a great tip come through. And I hadn't realized that the backup didn't work across subscriptions because I was actually was gonna. I have to do that later later this month anyway. So thanks for setting that up, Tobias. <laughs> The last link is less developer-y, but um, as Jeremy and I were talking about before we hit the record button, we're always the tech support for our families, right? (laughs) Because we're in this business. And Daniel Meisler posted the, the consumer authentication strength maturity model. And this is a blog post that he comes through and this has seven levels of how mature the passwords are, starting with, you know, you use the same password in multiple places and every place on the Internet <laughs> versus YubiKeys and RSA tokens at the top and so on. So this is a great little visual model of saying where the, your password security strength is. But the idea, of course, is it's guided toward consumers. So when you're talking to your grandma or your aunt or your parents or your brothers, sisters, whatever, you can at least show them a picture. Hey, if you want to be good, you should be above level through above certain level. And here's how you get there. So great work to, to Daniel for doing this with feedback from some uh, some notables in the industry like uh, Troy Hunt and uh, and Andrew Shibakin and Tim Dirk. So thanks guys for putting that all together. Yeah, I think the title of it is a little bit scary. I'm not sure if I said this to my mom, should totally get it based on that diagram. But the concept is right. Like, please don't have the same password for every single thing that you do, including your bank and Amazon accounts. And actually, the work that Troy Hunt does on, you know, have I been pawned is awesome because you can kind of actually specifically go and show your password is readily known on the internet because you've been scammed somewhere. But it is a journey with everyone that isn't kind of in our industry to try and get them there. And I think passwordless and, you know, MFA is the right way to go. But even then, like my my parents both get frustrated of, but that means I have to get my phone out and click a button. I just want to be able to just put a password in and save it in my browser. You kind of go in that random loop of, well, do you want your credit cards being used for the wrong reasons or, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and, and you know, the struggle I have is that some people in my family are less adept at using the browser and there's even one that has you know, limited vision. So where they're clicking may be nefarious and they're not getting it mm-hmm. because they can't see or they're not familiar. So that's scary in those people. But then again, I, my wife has lived with me all these years and she understands that I'm not going to click a link inside an email. I'm going to type in the URL. So it's kind yeah. of less of an issue, right? And this this is a great visual way to start that conversation and show them where you're at. So I, I almost um, feel like you just need like the bad stories of what happens if you don't do it. Yeah, you know, such and such had their card, 20 grand, and they didn't get it back. You know, those kind of stories are probably going to have more of an impact than you should do the right thing so you don't get hacked. You kind of have to do the bad stories of who didn't and what happened. <laughs> Gloom and doom. E- either way, folks, up- update your uh, password security posture and try to get others in your circle to do the same thing. Stop using password at one because we will know it. <laughs> ABC123. Anyway, um, so this week on the show, you brought in another colleague of yours, uh, Brian Jacket. And folks, I-, I would imagine many listeners have heard Brian on the community calls. So uh, thanks for bringing him. Him on. We had a great talk about. He come under his own will. You make it sound like I coerced them onto the show. Well, the, the, that's yeah. I'm sorry. It's true. They come on their own will. But uh, <laughs> you reached out and said, "Hey, come on the show." So that, that's kind of what I meant. Was uh, line, lined him up for us. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and folks, I did try to get Brian to spill the beans on how Jeremy is to work for, but he wouldn't. So we're gonna have to try to keep. We're gonna have to keep chipping away at this, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but it was lots of fun. Great to chat with with Brian and uh, talked about. We started off the mailbag and kind of branched off into all kinds of crazy things there. So great, great talk. I'm glad he was on. And then uh, we will chat next week. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Have a good weekend, buddy. And um, everyone enjoy the podcast. And please let us know if there are other topics you want us to talk about on the show. It'd be great to get new guests on that we haven't had on before. And if you're out there in the community doing stuff and want to come and talk to us, we'd love to hear from you. That reminds me. I'm having trouble with PowerShell modules, so I have to go find someone who knows that. Oh, there you go. There you go. Little teaser. Okay. This week on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Brian Jacket. Most of our listeners probably know you from the monthly graph community call, but why don't you give uh, those who don't know your background where you Obviously, you, you work on the graph team, but uh, what was your life like before then and a little bit more about yourself? Hey, man. Welcome to the show. My name is Brian T. Jackets, member of the Microsoft Graph team now on the customer and partner experience, CPX under Jeremy here. Previous to joining the team back in, let's see, it was May of last year, um, I was a premier field engineer at Microsoft, a PFE. Uh, I'd been in that role for almost nine years. And um, and through some of, kind of my various workings, dealing with a lot of uh, SharePoint on-prem, by moving to the cloud, getting into Azure AD, getting into Exchange Online, a lot of other kind of uh, technologies, and then really landed with uh, Microsoft Graph. Working with Jeremy a couple of years back, uh, we did the 30 Days of Microsoft Graph blog series. Um, that was back in 2018, I believe. And so we uh, it was a good way to kind of share out knowledge on you know, getting ramped up to kind of a 200 level of Microsoft Graph. Uh, we had a lot of different authors on there, a lot of different product group members involved, and uh, it was a really great way to just kind of ramp people up and get them exposed to graph development. And uh, through kind of a couple of different discussions with Jeremy, I uh, found out there was a, an opening on the graph team last May, able to join into the team. And uh, now we're doing a lot of great things with our customers and partners, trying to get them ramped up on, on developing uh, solutions powered by Microsoft Graph. You know, one thing that struck me when, when you joined and watching work, I don't typically equate PFE as a developer, right? And that, that's probably Paul's ignorance. But <laughs> but it's been great to see that, you know, that, that, that field experience has been wonderful, right? Because a lot of us outside of Microsoft who are struggling with things, sometimes that PFE mindset to help troubleshoot and get, oh, no, try this or do that. It, it's been great. So uh, I'm glad you joined the team. It's been it's been wonderful. So awesome stuff. I, I like to joke with people that uh, I play a developer on TV. You know, it's, I, I haven't written production code <laughs> in probably, you know, nine, 10 years. Uh, but a lot of times it'll be, you know, question comes up and it's like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to use this SDK. I'm trying to use this API. Can you help me, you know, kind of diagnose this? And um, as you mentioned, you know, going through and knowing kind of the, the customer and partner mindset, like what are the, the common problems they run into or what are just like the, the shape of the API, things like that. It, it's helpful to have that as I just kind of say developer background may not be my day-to-day thing, uh, but being able to diagnose those things and get a little bit deeper um, than maybe some other of, uh, you know, the, the PM roles. Um, we have that technical aspect. And so it, it's a, a big help being able to troubleshoot, diagnose, and just kind of understand where are these developers coming from? What are they trying to build? What solutions are they looking at? Yeah, the um, the other thing was is that series was so popular and it kind of gave us good signal on what else we should go focus on topic-wise. Like the, the Postman blog, which I think was like number 13 or something in the series, still is in our top five blogs every month. Um, and which kind of let me led me to the okay, we really should have some Postman collections out there that are in the API catalog now for Postman. But there was a bunch of other topics like that where we took it back to the PM saying, "Hey, look, clearly this is a problem. Um, we should go address these things in our actual docs or in the API itself." And so that series was a great 
Well, I guess it was a good uh, interview process for you to prove. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We, we did see like a couple of different blog posts that were very key in terms of um, not only viewership, but also uh, people asking questions. And so Postman was definitely one of those where it's a, I want to test out these queries. How can I do this? You know, we have Graph Explorer, um, but there are some limitations in terms of can't do application permissions. I can't do, you know, bring my own uh, auth cookie or whatnot. And so um, things like that was, you know, I'd, I'd say a good indicator of what's an important topic. Um, other ones, we got a lot of questions on things like how do I upload large files to OneDrive? And you know, you might not think that, oh, that's you know a very common scenario, mm -hmm. but um, our documentation, there's just kind of two paths. You know, there's do you have a file under four megs or do you have one that's larger than that? And we had a lot of questions asking for samples around that second scenario of, you know, when we upload a hundred meg file, like how do I go and do this? Um, so that you know helps us from a documentation standpoint, from a sample standpoint, um, just kind of knowing what are people trying to do and what would be a, a key scenario for them to, to understand. I think also it it pulled some of the things we have already in GitHub and like sample repos into blog posts, which tend to be more discoverable by like search organically. Those OneDrive examples were already in GitHub, but just people didn't find them. Whereas now, if you go search for a large file upload in Google, like the blog post comes up, which then links to the GitHub repo. So we were learning a lot about the developer experience through that series of blog posts. And it was a good way for Brian and a bunch of other folks to kind of contribute back to the graph for our for our blog and so the, the new mailbag series i mean we've had fabs and seb come on to talk about um their particular articles was what was the idea of the mailbag series particularly sure yeah so uh when i first joined the the graph team um one of the things i had kind of you know pitched jeremy on was hey, it'd be great for us to kind of revisit that 30 days of graph blog series. Um, but let me tweak it up a little bit. You know, doing 30 posts in a row, um, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of time and effort, a lot of coordination. Um, and, you know, it's it's, it's helpful to have that, uh, but it's a little bit better from just a timing perspective, from a getting people to, to collaborate if we had things spaced out a little bit more. So I just kind of chopped the idea around of, hey, what if we had something just, you know, twice a month? Uh, we find some people who want to talk about topics, might be things that are lessons learned, you know, things we've, we've through talking to our customers and partners, what are things that they're working on or what are different solutions, approaches to, you know, problems that would be kind of key to highlight. Or maybe there are some announcements that are happening uh, within the you know kind of graph ecosystem um, that we want to highlight a little bit more. You know that weren't getting as much play, uh, and so those are the kind of things that we're looking to share out. Um, so we're doing this on a twice a month basis. Uh, so the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, we're trying to get gather together uh, topics from a lot of different areas. Um, already we have ones for Microsoft Graph Toolkit. We've had stuff for Blazor and Azure Functions. We've had them for uh, kind of getting started with the PowerShell SDK. Um, so the idea is trying to find a variety of things that all relate back to Microsoft Graph in some fashion um, and be able to share that information out, um, kind of highlight more things. Uh, and to me, it's it's really about giving people a platform to kind of share their voice. You know, we, we've got a lot of folks inside of Microsoft, whether they're dev advocates, maybe they're customer engineers, maybe they're product group members, um, and they want to be able to kind of share more broadly. Uh, and this is a, a consistent, you know, kind of mechanism for people to uh, tune in and be able to, um, you know, kind of follow along with what, what things are going on. So the word mailbag to me implies that I can just send something that lands in your inbox and then you do it for me, right? So what, what, what is the expectation for external either contributors or even people who have questions? Ex excellent question, Paul. Uh, so today, uh, the way the, the mailbag series is kind of set up is we've got a number of in, uh, internal contributors who are all kind of collaborating together. We've got some reviewers and so forth. Um, so to date, it has been mostly an internal kind of process. Um, we do hope that at some point we can open this up more for external folks, uh, not only from a um, contribution standpoint, but also a, you know, as you mentioned, asking 
asking questions or asking for specific topics. Um, we don't have anything to share today, uh, but definitely something on, on our minds of, you know, how can we make this more accessible, more open for people in the community, people who are in our, you know, developer ecosystem uh, to also be able to participate in this as well. Yeah. And we'd like to, like, if people are interested, like, you know, obviously I started my career writing blogs in the early 2000s and that kind of started off more as a, like a captain's log of things that I couldn't get working and just another way of like keeping track of when I come up with that issue again, that I would remember, oh, that's right. I had this problem before. And then you realize that actually that content is in high demand, but for a lot of authors, it's hard to get viewership when you start a blog post from scratch or a blog from scratch. And so the idea of the mailbag series was that, you know, obviously our blog is very highly viewed. And so having new authors that want to kind of start in this world, this is a great place for them to kind of do that and get their name known um, so that people then kind of go follow them on Twitter and follow their blogs, you know, maybe attach the RSS feeds to whatever mechanism they're using to keep up to date. And so, you know, if you are interested in that, definitely reach out to myself and Brian on on the Twitters, which we'll have the link in the show notes. Because as Brian said, we've, we've spun up this mailbag series more as a from our team's perspective right now, but it would be great to get contributions elsewhere. And we do feed a lot of like questions we get from partners and what we see in the forums and Q&A and what things come across Twitter as like, okay, there's a great <laughs> one to go do as a mailbag series blog post. The OneDrive one was definitely a, a big one back in it, back then for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I know, I know you talked with uh, Seb a couple weeks ago uh, on the podcast, and he mentioned uh, one that's coming up in terms of our uh, one of our posts. Um, we're looking to share more about the um, Outlook REST API migration over to Microsoft Graph. What's the story for that? What's the you know process to go through that? You know, we, we've talked to our partners. We have seen countless times where, hey, you know, I've, I've been developing on Outlook REST for years and years and years. You know, I, I know that the date's coming up for deprecation, um, but you know, we're we're worried. We're you know anxious about that process of flipping over. Um, so we want to kind of help guide people down the path of, hey, we've already done some, you know, initial, you know, prototypes and some exploration with this, uh, do some handholding to, to guide them through this process and make it much more of an easier transition. So that's not this big, scary uh, kind of beast that we have to tackle. Instead, it's more, hey, here's guidance from Microsoft. Here is experience from folks who are working with our, you know, customers and partners already. Um, wh- what does that look like? Wh- what's going to be, you know, kind of the, the happy path to get there? So absolutely, you know, those conversations we're having, they're definitely leading to, you know, future topics and other areas that we want to explore more. Maybe this is just Paul being too busy to pay attention, but is, are these posts, are these more lengthy or are these more bite-sized snacks? I seem to remember the, the 30 days one is a lot of quick hits. I could get in, see a topic, and then dive further. What's the goal with this current mailbag series? Yeah, with, with the 30 days, we were targeting kind of that five to 10 minute long um, for each post. Uh, we're taking a similar kind of format here for the mailbag. Uh, the idea is that, you know, not all of us have, you know, infinite amounts of times uh, to be able to go out and read content or look up, you know, blog series and whatnot. So <laughs> being able to have that kind of quick and easy uh, digestible format, um, you know, that, that's really what we're targeting. Uh, and we even have in our kind of guidance to each of the new um, authors is contributing keep this between 600 and 1200 words. Like that is the uh, average time span for, you know, five to 10 minute read. And we actually check that. Like, so in Word, I will highlight and, ch- and check and see, hey, how long, how much content you put into here? And if it's over, you know, by a large amount, like we'll, we'll have discussions and, and try and get that down to more digestible and easy to kind of consume fashion. <laughs> or part one, part two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, we are exploring that as well for a couple where, hey, you're getting a little bit too verbose on, uh, on the content. 
Well, more is always better for for someone who, who's new to the topic, and I think that that's kind of that 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 certainly from my point of view. When I start clicking around in something new that I haven't done before, and and I, I, I don't necessarily want to want to have it shortened, but that that's well. And another piece of feedback, because this is nothing Paul does on the podcast, is you know I just give unsolicited feedback. But um, I, I was poking around on a lot of the a lot of the. The samples are, or the documentation, primarily in the team's payload, the, the sample payloads for posts and puts that weren't always fleshed out. It was like, put an ID here. Well, what does that mean, right? So so I, I think that um, the mailbag series seems like a good avenue when when folks are, are talking about a certain part of the graph that they're talking about mailbag, having fuller examples. And I've seen a couple where they've already done that. So I think that's a great outlet for us to get something that maybe it's not, the documentation isn't going to be that big because at the end of the day, it's just documentation. It's auto-generated. But but having a scenario-driven, fully detailed one, it certainly has a lot of value for folks outside the the, the realm, if it, so to speak. So I, I really kind of like that. All right, I appreciate that feedback. That's a, a, a good area because we do hear a lot of that kind of questions or just, you know, hey, what, what's your recommendation on this? Um, whether it's from our Microsoft Graph tap, whether it's through talking with our, our customers and partners. Um, one area that's been an interesting one lately is around uh, online meetings versus um, calendar events uh, in Exchange. You know, so one I can go and create in Teams, one I can go and create in Exchange. Like, when should I use which? And we have a documentation page on that, um, but I think it could actually use a little further kind of um, deeper dive of like, hey, here's a real world use case of like when I should use this versus that. Um, so something that our team has actually actively been discussing the past couple of weeks of, hey, we want to be able to take that type of scenario and flush it out a little bit more, give it a little more context um, and actually give some samples for, well, here's when you would use this versus using something different. Yeah, I think it's the benefit of the being on the blog is it's more um, conversational in the way you read it as opposed to sometimes our docs could be a little bit more like to direct of like do it this way or do it that way and so i think um the blogs kind of help because of the platform that it is to be able to kind of have it as a conversation rather Mm -hmm. than being so efficient like technically official yeah and and i when i look at documentation i'm not expecting you know a narrative i mean that yeah that's kind of how tech documentation has been forever Mm -hmm. so that's okay right so uh, yeah i think that's that, that that's awesome that's awesome. Now you mentioned a lot about the the, the team. The, now that we've had a lot of the folks on there, I have to ask, right? So, how is Jeremy as a boss? Is he okay? Is he treating you guys well? <laughs> Jeremy is a, a great lead for our team. That's so cruel, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you knew it was coming. <laughs> Paul, Paul's asking the hard hitting questions here. You know he's going to do that. <laughs> I was going to ask something. Um, is in terms of we often get asked a lot at Microsoft because. You know, our audience on the show or when we go to an event, which I really miss going to events, is there consultants at companies that obviously aren't going to be as big as 150,000 employees at Microsoft. And um, some some of our, you know, biggest community people are solo independent consultants. I mean, Paul, your company is sub 100 people. And often you get, oh, it's like, what, what, what is a PFE role? What is a CPX PM? Like for, from your, I mean, PFE has changed names now, right? It's uh, uh, customer engineer now, CE. Customer yeah. engineer. Yeah. How would you describe like what the customer engineer role is 
to someone that was interested in that? And then how would you describe the CPX role that you currently have? Sure. So I've been out of the PFE slash CE role for probably a year now. I know some things have changed since uh, they've done a little bit of a reorg. Um, essentially, they are kind of, a, I, I called it like the boots on the ground. You know, when I was a, a customer working with them um, and they want to do, go and deploy new solutions, maybe it was, hey, we're, we're going to spin up a new SharePoint online tenant, or we're going to, you know, integrate with Microsoft Teams or something else. Uh, PFEs, now CEs, they were really around, you know, doing education, around uh, planning out, kind of doing some of the architecture governance stuff, um, really to kind of guide our customers in terms of, you know, what are the things to be aware of? What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the best practices? Um, and as part of that, you know, we had workshops, we had other types of chalk talks, um, things like that to really kind of help them through that process. Uh, and a lot of what you'll see is that it's actually a uh, very much a, a group effort. You know, it's, you know, one person might be an expert in one specific area, but, you know, as a team, we can really Really covered a lot of areas, whether it's Teams and Exchange and SharePoint and Planner and, and so forth. There's a lot where, man, we just we got to learn a lot from each other um, and really take all that knowledge that we were sharing and be able to then bring that back to our customers uh, and really kind of improve, you know, wh- whatever they were deploying and things like that. So very much of a you know support for our customers, helping them be as productive as possible with our Microsoft 365 solutions. And this CPX role that you're in now is different how? It sounds, it sounds the same to me, but I'm sure there's some distinction that, <laughs> that I missed. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our CPX team, uh, customer partner experience, um, we are brand new as of last May. Um, so Jeremy and I like to kind of joke, uh, we were building the ship, you know, as it was flying, um, you know, so it was like we're getting landing gear out, we're getting the wings put together and everything. So it was a little bit of a, um, you know, we'll kind of figure things out as we go along. Uh, and really where we started to kind of really focus our area is um, being kind of that voice of the partner and the customer and bringing that back to the various workload teams that are building on Microsoft Graph. Uh, we have 50 plus, maybe even 60 now, um, different teams that are building APIs on Microsoft Graph. And a lot of times um, they're looking for feedback of, hey, what are our partners building? What are our customers trying to you know, uh, uh, deploy with this? And Getting that set of you know very targeted feedback in terms of hey here here's an API that man I love the way that this works um, but I wish there was some additional features for this or you know here's some issues that I'm having with it you know we we talk on a daily basis with you know uh, any number of different customers and partners and getting that signal um, being able to kind of distill it down into well, here's like the actual, the, the real root of the problem, or here's like the, the common theme that we're hearing across this whole set of different customers and partners. That's kind of the value that we're bringing back to the various product groups um, and being able to kind of help them with understanding, well, here's if you put your, you know this amount of investment in, you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck, or you're going to get the most return on investment. Uh, so trying to help them, uh, you know, our first parties to build a more um, you know improved Microsoft Graph and, and really make it the best experience possible for all of our folks um, developing on Graph. What are the top kind of things that that come up, right? So obviously the the, the, the uh, I get the funneling it back, but do you have some specific items? Is it, what's what's the big hit list of things that people are asking about that? Because because for everyone who asks, there's probably three or four who haven't, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we get a range of things. Sometimes it is a feature request where, hey, I need to have this support. You know that there was something available in a previous API. I need that supported on Microsoft Graph. Or it's a matter of, um, you know, something works a certain way and it's not as expected or whatnot. So we actually do track those types of things, so feature requests. 
Um, and in our monthly or bi-monthly meetings with various workload teams, we'll actually share those and say, hey, here's the top you know, five requests that have come in. Um, is this on your backlog? And if not, well, hey, can we help prioritize this, make it more of a, you know, a, a sooner thing that can get worked on? There's other areas where we're also investigating like, hey, uh, you know, what, what's the roadmap for something? Um, so if it's, you know, Microsoft Search, if it's uh, SharePoint, if it's Exchange, trying to find out like what are the big things that are coming up that we can also kind of help guide our customers and partners into that direction of, hey, if you invest in this area, this is where we're also leading to. Um, so kind of help them out in a, uh, you know, kind of that NDA kind of fashion of, you know, sharing with them where we're looking to go. Um, and if possible, even getting you know direct feedback on, hey, here are a couple of different targeted scenarios that we'd love to get your feedback on. Does this, does this work the way that you think it should? Um, and that'll help improve the product and improve the API so that one does get released at the door. We know that we've already gotten that kind of approval and that kind of validation uh, before we even you know actually uh, physically ship something out. Yeah, I can imagine that's very helpful to have the second person look at something, right? I, as a developer, I do that a lot where, oh, it looks great. And then I, I share it with the boss and he runs something like, what are you, what are you doing? And I didn't even think of that, that approach. So I can certainly see how that would, would, would be helpful. And, and um, in some of the chatter I've seen around your graph feedback, uh, you know, people, for example, they're searching directory objects and they want to query by a certain attribute that wasn't part of that there. Are those the kind of things that you're trying to look out for to say, hey, folks are asking, they want to search by eye color and you don't have that in your or default <laughs> list of, you know, select statements or whatever, yeah. right? Is that, that those kind of things, yeah, right? Yeah, it was more eye color being a part of our uh, Azure AD, but uh, we'll see if we can get that prioritized there, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes we do see very specific things of like, yeah. hey, I, I want to be able to support uh, filtering on a specific attribute or I want to be able to sort on something. I want to be able to do reporting on uh, another API. So those are definitely some of the, the kind of key things. Um, you'll also see it just in terms of um, just general usage. You know, hey, uh, throttling might be an issue where, um, you know, hey, I'm trying to go querying against an API and and all of a sudden, you know, hitting up in some kind of limits or in terms of um, troubleshooting, you know, I, I query in and I'm not getting back the expected result based on the documentation. Um, so that's a great area where we can work with our documentation team, go and, you know, update, validate, make sure that everything's kind of fine tuned. Um, or if there's scenarios that aren't being captured in the documentation, you know, it's, hey, you have one example for this API. Why isn't there three? Because there's three very distinct ways to call into this API. Um, so again, hearing those kind of things, it really helps us feed back into the various groups, whether it's actual product groups, whether it's the documentation team, whether it's our um, folks who support the tutorials and samples. Um, that, that's another area where, hey, you know, we, we've got a, a small set of people who are working on tutorials and samples. What are the highest priority ones? You know, is this for a specific language? Is it for a specific uh, scenario or a specific workload? Um, so getting that signal also helps a lot of other areas. So, um, you know, it, it does go beyond just simply technical aspects. A lot of times it's also into the, the developer experience, which is an area that I know uh, Jeremy was very familiar with uh, from his previous uh, work on the team. Yeah, so I got a couple things there I want to I want to pull the thread on. So I'll, uh, the first one is you said the T word, the throttling, right? Oh, yeah. And so I, I have I have to admit, using the SDK, I don't see it so much anymore because they've done a great job of handling that for me, right? Do you still see a lot of folks coming in saying I'm I'm having these throttling issues, and is there something? that I should be doing better as a developer? Or is it really the case of, you know, rapid growth in the service and that you're throttling us because that's what you have to do to keep the service up? Or is it both? Or can you, a little feedback on that would be great. <laughs> 
Sure. And there's a couple of things that have changed, I'd say, probably in the last one to two years. Um, one really big addition, and we really have to call out uh, Vincent Bure. Um, he did an excellent job probably about a year, year and a half ago. He went to, oh my gosh, a couple dozen different teams and said, hey, we have no documentation on what our throttling limits are. So when people call in, they just happen to go get back a throttle request. If we could at least know ahead of time that, hey, it's X number of requests per 10 minutes, or it's a number of mailboxes you can hit you know, concurrently, um, that would really, really help out. And so he actually led an effort to really go through uh, the majority of our different workloads and start to document those different API um, limits. Uh, and those were all the kind of what we call service-specific limits. Um, and that was a huge, huge, huge help in terms of just knowing like, hey, what are the, the limits that are out there so that as a developer, as a company, I can know ahead of time, what should I be able to plan for? So that was kind of like the level setting the bar out there um, to really get just a, a documentation on what is out there from a throttling uh, perspective. And then to the point you mentioned around the SDKs, um, that's been another big help, I would say, is that the SDKs actually help a lot in terms of, hey, handling retries, handling redirects, um, taking care of throttled scenarios so that, hey, it'll, it'll automatically do the retry and wait for the appropriate amount of time before it actually continues on. So um, as much as possible, we do really recommend that our uh, developers and all the folks in the community do definitely leverage the SDKs. They've got a number of things built into them that will handle a lot of those types of scenarios of, hey, this again, you know, retries, uh, throttling, redirects, and so forth. Um, it just makes it a much more easy kind of process and less for you to have to go and manually check for, hey, what, what's the 429 header? Um, how long should I be waiting for this? And then you know, kind of rescheduling that stuff. Um, it, it takes a lot of that pain out of the kind of equation out there. And, and then this, the second thread I wanted to tug on is these signals that you talked about and getting these back. And, and obviously, Paul has a, 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 a channel to send that signal that's quite direct <laughs> and some partners would as well. So, but for, for the range of listener audiences, what is, what, what are these signals? Where should they send these signals? Is it Stack Overflow? Is it the Q&A? Is it find you guys on the Twitter? What do you think is the best approach there? Yeah, we've got a couple different channels that we all actively monitor as a team and as a all up, you know, Microsoft Graph in general. First one I would say, just kind of calling out is the community call that we do um, once a month on the first Tuesday of the month. Um, we usually have anywhere between 100 and 150 people on there, uh, but usually there's going to be an open forum section. So if you have specific questions or things that you want to kind of share in with folks, um, feel free to go and uh, you know join us on the community calls. Love to hear your feedback. Love to hear what kind of things are coming up. Um, and we even do allow um, you know community contributions as well. I know back in I think it was January um, we had a uh, uh, someone coming from the community, Kevin Ritchie, and talk about a solution that he and his company had built. Um, so kind of one avenue to, to first take a look at. Uh, also in terms of kind of the forums, um, you mentioned you know Stack Overflow, Microsoft Q and A. Um, we are moving away from. Uh, I don't want to say moving away from, we're starting to introduce Microsoft Q&A as kind of the preferred location to go for asking questions, for um, kind of getting those, you know, community kind of contributions form kind of posts. Um, so we have a whole team who has ramped up and already uh, actively engaging and responding on questions that are out there. Uh, so Microsoft Q&A is probably going to be the preferred um, platform from just, from just a, you know, where should I put my questions? Where should I be asking those type of things? Yeah, and, and that's coming across as a whole Microsoft thing. It's just from an M365 world, um, Graph is the first ones there from a developer side. But um, when you look at Azure, Azure's all in there. They piloted it last, I guess, last May, right before build. And then they launched it at build um, for all of their services. And each of those teams has like systems dedicated to right routing them if the first line of defense team can't answer the question it goes directly to the pms and the workloads the main benefit we've seen there already is is that often people will ask me a question and i'll be like oh that's already been answered in q a and i send them the link rather than me replying an email going 
and answering the question again. Like it, it just helps with discoverability and saves answering the same question 90 times in email directly or on Twitter. And so, you know, you might get sick of me on Twitter going, please ask it on Q&A and put, post the link on Twitter. But, um, you know, we are trying to change the way that we've done things to, to scale better through, um, you know, a dedicated team that looks at all those questions across the Microsoft Graph tag. And teams are going to be there shortly, um, I know for sure. And actually the Teams team is already monitoring the Microsoft dash Graph dash Teams tag and so you can see those questions being answered. So it's definitely the right place to go um, with those kind of questions, which is good. Well, to your point about being tired of it, how do you get, how do you drive the folks there if you don't constantly bang the drum? So certainly, uh, so, and I'm glad to help on that as well. So I haven't asked any questions or answered any for that matter, but uh, it certainly is a resource we should all get familiar with. So we'll certainly do that. Well, Brian, this is fascinating from my point of view. It's great to to see. I love the 30 days series and I've been watching the mailbag. So uh, nice to get the reasons behind it and appreciate all the, the community efforts you're doing as well uh, on, on the call is great. Uh, look forward to, to getting some more great stuff out of the team. Thanks for coming on. Right, thanks so much, Paul. Thanks so much, Jeremy. This is a uh, great opportunity to share more about what we're doing. And uh, yeah, definitely look for any community feedback, any kind of contributions you may have. You know, can contact Jeremy or myself. Uh, we're on Twitter pretty actively and uh, love, love to hear what you have. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 